0: you had a chance to look into God's Word this week in Hebrews chapter 9 where we've been journeying together. I want to share some things with you that uh, have been shared before. You know it's kind of a funny phenomenon like we, we if we watch a really good movie we don't mind watching it again and sometimes again and again and again depending on uh, on your personality, I think, or 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 whatever. like You know what's going to happen, but you're still so happy to watch it because it was just done so well. So there are some jokes like that. I have a father-in-law. He's like 85, and he likes to tell jokes, and I think we've heard them all, but we like for him to tell them again because he enjoys it so much, and we enjoy the fact that he's enjoying it. So even though we know the punchline of the jokes, he tells them again, and we all laugh again, and we enjoy it. So Hebrews chapter nine, you know, we've been nine chapters now in this message, in this sermon that the preacher here is preaching to the Hebrews, and he's repeating some things. But because they're such joyful things, because they're such awesome and amazing things, he repeats them. You know, that's how we learn by repetition. You didn't learn the alphabet when you were a little kid, I'm just hearing it once. You had to sing the little song, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And you had to sing it and sing it and sing it. Then you had to write it out. Then you had to write it out some more. By repetition, our mind is shaped and the things that become words and sentences and paragraphs and books come together. So I think that God inspired the writer of Hebrews to repeat some very important things. And instead of saying like, oh, yeah, we heard that already. We should be joyful all over again. We should be filled with wonder all over again. We should worship Jesus all over again. So this morning, as we look at this message, I want you to get that feeling again. And it might be a little bit like deja vu, like we've been here before. But as you read it, remember how important it is. That's why it's being repeated for us. So that we never, never, never forget. And so that our lives are actually shaped around these truths. You can't just hear them once. you got to hear them again and again. I don't know how many of you last week at the baptism were remembering your own baptism. Or maybe the baptism of your children that you watched and you were so much a part of. Memory is a wonderful thing. It brings up joy all over again. It deepens our joy. So as we look at this passage this morning, it does feel a little bit like deja vu. But that's because the preacher is basically circling around and around these great and wonderful truths. It's like when you watch that really good movie and say, let's watch it again. So I want to start with asking you a question I asked you a few weeks ago. Back in one of the earlier chapters. How many of you have a last will and testament? You've written out a will. You've had it, you know, certified. And it's sitting somewhere in an important place. Maybe in a safe or in a file. Well, again in this passage, starting in verse 16, he says, In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. Because a will is in force only when someone has died. So he's using this example again, which he used earlier for us. But he wants us to remember this truth. See, this is the point. Someone has to have died in order for the inheritance to be given out, to be doled out to those who are going to inherit. So the, the preacher here is reminding them that this last will and testament, this new covenant in Christ's blood, required a death to happen. For where a will is involved, the death must be proved because a will is in force. In other words, it can't be enforced until you've proven that that person is dead. That's why when someone goes missing and they have a will and maybe they're worth a billion dollars but they're missing, they went out on their yacht and you can't find them, the will is actually not activated until there's some type of proof that that person died because they could just be living in Tahiti. Right. The proof of death is important. Remember, the Greek word here for will is the word for the last will in Testament. The word for covenant here is that same Greek word. So the point is that a will is only enforced once the death of the one who made it has been proved. We know that in order for us to receive one of the most beautiful and powerful gifts that God ever gave us, that cleansing that Tanya was just trying to demonstrate there with the girls, the washing away of our sin had to demand payment. Someone had to die for my sin. Someone had to die for your sin. That someone is Jesus. He paid the price. The great price was God's son, Jesus Christ. And the reason this is being repeated is because we should never ever forget that and we should not take this lightly. This was not cheap grace. This was the most expensive grace you could ever receive. Verse 18 reads like this. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law, To all the people, he then took the blood of calves, together with water and wool and branches of hyssop, and he sprinkled the scroll and all of the people. And he said, this is the blood of my covenant. Interesting. We think of blood in a very different way. As modern people, we think of blood very scientifically. You'll see these uh, test tubes here in a minute that, that Alvin will click on. It, it, we, we think of blood in a, in a biological or in a scientific way most of the time. When we cut ourselves, we think of it as a little bit more important. But we're often talking about blood sort of clinically. You know, I went and gave blood today or he had to have a blood transfusion. It sounds, you know, very scientific. But this Old Testament mention here is that Blood is associated with life and death. And what the preacher is trying to say is that this will, or this new covenant that we have, had to be enforced with a death, with blood that we shed. Now, we got to remember that the book of Hebrews was written to the Jews, and these Jews were tempted to go back under the old law of the covenant and away from the grace, the great gift of this new covenant which tells us that it is through the death of Jesus Christ only that we are made right with God again. So he's writing to these people who have this common understanding of the use of blood, much different than our own. We think of blood, like I said, biologically, medically. But they think of blood as sacred. Sacred, holy, holy. It was thought of in a sacred way. It was used in their sacred ceremonies. This is important for us to understand, to really understand what the preacher is saying here. Let me read to you a passage from the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus to get a greater understanding of what they were hearing and what they were thinking when this message was preached to them, when Christ's blood was mentioned. In Leviticus 17, verse 11, it says, For the life of a creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Now remember, atonement is bringing us back together, or that act of forgiveness, washing away our sin, because our sin separates us, and then we're made one again with God. That's what atonement means. So God placed this significance on blood in his word, saying it was given to be used to atone for our souls. The blood is the gift of life through the Spirit. Because of this understanding, the Jews who heard this had a very high view of the sacredness of blood. This is why when someone shed blood, they would be punished for shedding of blood. They also were not to eat animals, the meat of animals, with the blood still in it. They needed to drain the blood. This was this was one of their commandments because God wanted to communicate how sacred blood was. Now let's read verse 19. Again, when Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law of the people, he took the blood of those calves together with water and scarlet wool and branches of hyssop and he sprinkled the scroll and all the people. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. Interesting. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. Sounds very familiar to something Jesus said to us. Jesus said at the last supper in Matthew 26, he took the cup, he gave thanks and he offered it saying, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. In verse 21, he goes on to say, in the same way, Moses sprinkled the blood both on the tabernacle and on everything else that was used in the ceremonies. In fact, the law required that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. It's a a strange concept, right? Because if we get blood on something, we're trying to get the stain out. But again, remember, from their perspective, blood was holy and sacred and held a holy significance so they actually cleansed things by sprinkling them with blood. Every aspect of the old covenant was sanctified with blood. Not human blood. Don't get the wrong understanding. No animals were killed in the new covenant. But in the old co- covenant, animals were constantly being sacrificed. But you know what? The blood of those animals was not sufficient to cover all the sins of mankind. All of our sin could not be forgiven, no matter how many animals were sacrificed. Why didn't the blood of animals do it? Well, the answer is really here in verse 23 of our passage. It was necessary, verse 23 says, for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves needed a better sacrifice than these. The animals on earth were only sufficient to cleanse things of the earth. The tabernacle, which was a copy of the heavenly tabernacle. The real tabernacle, which is in heaven, needed a real sacrifice for sins. And Jesus Christ, our Savior, offered that perfect sacrifice in heaven to purify us from sin once and for all. Now, you've heard that. If you've grown up in the church, you've heard that again and again and again and again. You've heard it because it's so important. So important. It cannot be lost in the busyness of our lives. It cannot be lost in all the philosophies and all the different ideas. We cannot lose this fact. Now, the preacher has talked about the Old Testament high priest before and said that they had to keep making sacrifices over and over again and go into the holy place in the tabernacle every year to make a sacrifice for atonement. But Jesus' sacrifice is different. He went into the real heavenly tabernacle, the most holy place there is, to present himself as a sacrifice. Verse 25 and 26. Now, did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the preacher says? the way that the high priest had to enter the most holy place every year with blood that was not his own then Christ would have had to suffer many times over since the creation of the world but now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with the sin with sin by the sacrifice of himself Now, this is the foundation of our faith. We don't pay for our sin. Christ paid it all. I know that's something you know already up here, and you've known it here in your heart. But what you need to do is keep refreshing yourself in it. Keep repeating that for yourself, but also for the sake of those around you. That you live out of that truth. That that truth actually transforms you and changes who you are in this world so that the forgiveness that you've received, this powerful, amazing, wash you white as snow forgiveness flows into you but then flows out of you. It flows into the world around you. The grace that God gave you is to overflow in your life. You see, Jesus did that for us. Once and for all. Finally, let me read the last few verses here of our passage. Verse 27 and 28. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation. those who are waiting for him this last sentence is the only new thing he really told us but it's a very important new thing Christ was sacrificed once and for all to pay for the sins of many people we know that and we need to let our lives be transformed and changed by that but the next phrase and he will appear a second time he's talking about the return of Christ his second coming He came the first time to take care of the problem of sin. Sin separated us from God. We could not enter into the holy place with God without a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice. And Jesus did that on his first coming. But now he introduces, the preacher here introduces a new concept. He will appear a second time. You know he's coming back Jesus is coming back again. Now, back when I did youth ministry here, I worked with all kinds of kids from the community, and I remember driving in a car one day, after youth group, driving some kids home, and this kid said to me, I had no idea Jesus was coming again. He's coming back? What for? I thought we were gonna die and go to heaven. This says he's coming back to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Now here's the thing, this, this concept of like now and before and after, I'll just explain this before we wrap up here this morning. You who have received Christ and the forgiveness of your sins are saved, but your inheritance Your full salvation awaits Christ's coming. So you are saved. There's a guarantee. The Holy Spirit has been given to you as a seal and as a guarantee. You are saved. But your salvation, the fullness of your salvation, is yet to come. How do we know that? Sometimes when I wake up in the morning, my back hurts. Sometimes at night, my head hurts. Sometimes I feel sick. Sometimes I feel lonely. Sometimes I'm depressed. How could I be fully saved if I have these symptoms, these things that can happen to me? Sometimes my life's not going so great. Christ has come to bring us fully to God. We're not there yet, but we're on our way. When we see Him face to face, when He comes either in the clouds or when you go into the dirt and then you meet him you will be glorified you will be like him no more pain no more sorrow no more sadness no more grief no more sin in the fullness of God in the fullness of your salvation so you have a little bit of it in fact good thing we have a little bit because some days are good some, sometimes we're, we're awesome we, we're doing great with God And so that gives us a little piece of heaven here on earth. But earth is not heaven. In case you didn't know. There's a lot of pain and sorrow and sickness and poverty and injustice on this earth. Which will not be able to stand in the presence of God. So when we stand in the presence of God... Our down payment pays off when we get the fullness of our salvation. What we have now is just a down payment. It's lovely. It's lovely on certain days. He's definitely given us his spirit to give us joy and peace and hope, but it's only your down payment. The guarantee in Christ is that you will receive full payment, your full salvation. In fact, verse 15, which we didn't read, we'll just go back to in closing, says, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of this new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised inher- eternal inheritance. Eternal, meaning lasting. Now we have some temporary, but we will have eternal, lasting inheritance. You know, this joy and peace, this eternal promise, is something that cannot be described with words. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.9, he wrote this, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has even conceived or thought of this. All that God has prepared for those who love him. It's mind-blowing. It's beyond our imagination. Nobody can paint a picture of it. Nobody can make a movie of it. As good as they are, they'll always fall short of what God has prepared. We know that we have not yet received the fullness of what he's prepared for us. That happens, this verse tells us, at his second coming. We should keep our eyes on the sky. We should look forward to that moment. Hebrews 9.28 tells us that Jesus returns to give salvation to those who are waiting for him. Are you waiting for him? Are you anticipating his return? I hope so. I am. I'll be glad to be rid of a lot of this stuff. The stuff of this earth. Jesus has taken our judgment. He has taken our sin on himself and been judged on the cross. So that by his one perfect sacrifice, he could take away all of our sins. We should never, never, never forget that. Never. It's repeated again and again and again throughout scripture because we need to hear it again and again and again. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I pray that your salvation is being renewed and enjoyed in the word of God as we study this book. When Jesus comes again, he's not gonna have to deal with our sin or punish it. He's already been punished for our sin. He is coming back to rescue those who trust in him, those who wait on him. This is why believers should not fear death and definitely not fear his second coming. When Christ returns He brings the fullness of our salvation to those who wait and trust in him. Let's pray. God, your word is, yes, repetitive, but it's trying to get the point through to us. Christ has paid it all. He has done the work that needed to be done to bring us back to you. And yeah, we're in a waiting period. We're we're still here, but not quite there yet in the fullness of our salvation we thank you for saving us and we thank you for holding our inheritance our eternal inheritance for us guaranteeing payment not because of anything we've done but only through what christ has done thank you for renewing this thought in us again today. Thank you for the book of Hebrews and the way that it restores truth. In the midst of our confusion, in the midst of our difficulties, you give us your truth. And your truth sets us free to live lives of grace and forgiveness and joy and peace, even while waiting for you. So we thank you for your Holy Spirit in your word this morning. Renew the joy of our salvation again today. Your your mercies are new every morning because of your great faithfulness. In Christ we pray, amen.